Welcome to the Health Business Growth Show, where we take you behind the scenes of the top health businesses to learn how they built their success. Remember, success leaves clues, and we're going to be sharing those with you. I'm your host, JJ Bergen, Inc. 5000 founder of the Mindshare Collaborative, along with members of our Mindshare Mentor team. And each week, we are joined by some of the most brilliant, innovative, and okay, slightly unhinged health business experts you're going to ever meet. These folks have built empires from scratch, navigated the choppy waters of entrepreneurship, and will be sharing both their struggles and their successes on the journey of creating a thriving health business. So if you're ready to take your business to the next level by learning from the best, you are in the right place. In each episode of the Health Business Growth Show, we'll tackle real-world, relevant topics to help you build your audience and scale your income. From marketing to mindset, from hiring to firing, and everything in between. We'll share our own stories of success and failure, interview some of the most amazing guests in the health business world, and we promise to never take ourselves too seriously. Because let's be honest, building your health business can be a bit challenging at times. Success takes resilience, creativity, courage, and a willingness to step outside of your comfort zone. And we are here to help you navigate through all of it. Find the humor in the chaos and build a health business that's truly worth it. So let's get this party started. We are so glad you are here. So you probably heard that statement. I'm going to kind of kill it as I paraphrase it. But if you build your work around what you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I think for those of us building health businesses, it comes from that place of like being obsessed with health, wellness, but it goes deeper than that. It's like, okay, then what is it in there that you truly love? Our guest today, Dr. Jordan Robertson, loves research loves research. And she really, really, really wanted to get paid to do research. That's the job that she wanted. Unfortunately, she wanted to teach and she wanted to do research. And she applied for position after position after position at universities and got turned down and turned down and turned down. However, I think it's worked out pretty well for her because that inspired her to create the confident clinician. And you know, one of the things we like to show here on the show are different business models. What you're going to find with all the different business models is they still follow the pattern, that pattern, the health business ascension model of starting with that creation, that idea, chatting that idea up and round some close people, seeing if that idea's got any kind of legs. Once that idea starting to go, then optimizing it, pushing it out further into the world. And then when you really start to know, hey, it does, it will fly in the words of our buddy Pat Flynn, then you start to systematize so you can expand. And when that systemization is taken hold, because you need that foundation in order to put your foot on the gas, accelerate and go into expansion and scale. And all along that path of scaling, you're also setting it up as a scalable, saleable business so that when you get into the maturity part of the business, the legacy part, then you can make decisions like, what do I want to do with this? You know, do I want to sell it? Do I want to do mentorship? Right? All of that. And so today you're going to hear a lot of that as we walk through the confident clinician, how this business came to be, the problem that it solved. It's really, really cool. So 
want you to think of your own business as we're walking through this. But also, I will tell you that if you are a clinician, this is definitely something that you are going to want to have in your toolbox. I was like, where were you when I was working one-on-one? And I think I might need this either which way anyway. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Jordan Robertson. Dr. Jordan has a brain that's wired for problem solving. You'll hear this as we walk through all of this. She has like a crazy list of accomplishments. She's the founder of Clarity Health, which was a massive naturopathic clinic in Ontario that has served over 20,000 patients. She's a podcast host. She's the offsite ND for the endometriosis clinic at McMaster Hospital and an instructor for the undergraduate health sciences program and the founder, again, of The Competent Clinician, which is such a cool business. This is what we're going to be unpacking today, how she came up with this, how she's built it. It's a practice resource and database for naturopathic doctors to help elevate their professional practice by offering clinical practice guidelines, patient resources, and ongoing training. And literally, when you hear how she's done this, she's changing the way that doctors are approaching their clinic, their patients. And ultimately, this is how she became so successful in her own clinic. It's changing the way people are practicing medicine. Right now, it's supporting over 600 NDs, North America and worldwide. However, it's expanding beyond NDs because like, this is definitely something that's not limited to NDs. It's anyone in the integrative, functional, holistic space. It makes total sense for. And she has just saw the issues, saw what was holding clinicians back from having a successful practice and went about changing it. And something that she uses herself, you'll hear about this as like, solve the problem for yourself and others will need it too. So I am so excited about this interview. You are going to love this. You're also going to want to dive in to the resources that she has gifted us, and you'll be able to find those either look at the podcast notes, and you can also go directly to them at ms365.io forward slash confident clinician. Alrighty, I will be right back with Dr. Jordan Robertson. Stay with me. Well, I am super excited to dive into this because one of the things that I love to show on the Health Business Growth Show is different types of business models with this through-line idea that when you have something that you're passionate about, you can create a business around it and make money with it. I know that they always say, oh, don't do that. You know, go find a good industry. I'm like, no, find the thing that you love, the hill you would die on and something that's underserved and go do that, which is what you've really done. You've created such a cool thing. So Dr. Jordan, I want to unpack how you created the Confident Clinician. And I think it all starts with a pretty big story of (laughs) no's, a big rejection story. Let's start there. As you were saying that, JJ, I was like, oh yeah, the, the hill that I feel like I've died on like nine times, right? But that's good. Like that gets you passionate. Yeah. So my background is actually in critical appraisal, like evaluating medical research. But I, for 15 years, have worked at McMaster University as one of the people on their teaching team around evidence-based education in healthcare, essentially. And what I knew from the time that I was a naturopathic student was that we were producing multiple choice writing robots and not great clinicians, right? We weren't creating good researchers. We weren't creating good decision makers. We weren't giving people the tools they needed to evolve with medicine. And yet we were all there because we love that medicine evolves. 
And so when I graduated, I wanted to teach. I wanted to be part of the change in the profession. This is where the rejection part of the story comes in because I was too young, too crazy, too inexperienced, too, right, you name the adjective, to infiltrate that system at that time, which, you know, at first I I really kind of went into my own hole. I did teach at McMaster. I went back and developed some courses for them because I had the relationship with that school. And I was like, well, maybe I'll grassroots this and I'll just influence undergraduates instead of influencing doctors or naturopathic doctors. But over the years, I realized if I really wanted to change the profession and help us have access to the kind of literacy of information and research, that I was going to have to go after the doctors. I was going to have to be part of their work lives, essentially. And so I've applied many, many, many times to teach at various institutions and have been rejected a million times. Well, seven. And when you would apply, like, did they know that you were kind of this rogue person over here that wanted to change the system? Yeah, you know what? I think my ideas are scary, right? Especially when schools feel like they need to jump through hoops. They're trying to meet the needs of their students. My argument is always that students don't always know what they need. And sometimes we need to give them hard situations and help push them to grow so that they can become like bigger people and have this absolute potential right? It's not really enough for us to have someone stand at the front of the room and just tell the students what they know. And yet that's really how we've disseminated information in integrative medicine. It's this oral tradition. It's that the elder knows more than you as the youngster, and you're just going to learn what they know and then repeat it. When in theory, as an educator, our goal is for our students to use us as a springboard to jump over us to become better than us, to be faster than us, to be more innovative than us. And that's yet not how we've built those institutions. We just, again, we're producing the same level and quality and the same expectations of every generation that's ever come before them. And I'm just not okay with that, right? I want the future of NDs to be faster, smarter, and more innovative than I am. I needed to build them the container for that to happen. I'm listening to this and my son's getting his PhD in math. He's you in math. He's so frustrated. So this isn't in one situation. This isn't one institution. This, I think, is a kind of across the board in academia. And I am not sure if it's people are just overworked and they just lose their creative edge. But you just described two different ways to go about this. One is to teach people to follow a system. And one is to teach people how to understand things so they can create the right systems. It's the obvious which one you want, yet we keep going back to the other. So you applied to these seven schools, and I guess they had a hint that you were kind of a renegade and wanted to shift the system. And, you know, I think that's the challenge is no one thinks the system's broken. So at what point of getting all these rejections did you just say, all right, well, screw it, I'll just do it myself? So I finally applied to speak. And this was a big deal for me because I honestly had been working alone in my office. And I have a very, very productive brick and mortar, right? Treated 20,000 patients in the last 10 years, very productive one-on-one practice. I finally went and I did the talk. And this was really what set the stage for me is that I spoke at a convention. And when I got off the stage, one of my colleagues said, you know, you should have been paid $10,000 to give that talk, Jordan. Like you literally just handed people the standard of care, the guidelines, the protocols, everything they needed to take that home and change their work lives. 
you gave it to them in like an hour and a half and you got like a mug and a pen and a thank you card. You should have been paid $10,000 to give that talk. And I was like, ah, that's so, you know, haha, that's so funny. But then I, that idea really stuck with me. And I was like, why aren't we creating a space where A, we value educators? Because it's also this ongoing theme in integrative medicine that you get a pen and a mug and a thank you card for giving away your entire life's work. Right. You get your honorarium. It is amazing to me when you look at that industry versus going to like an entrepreneurial business conference, you know, and the difference in speaker fees. It's night and day. Like what? You know, an honorarium because it's an honor for you to go speak for them and give all your stuff to them. (laughs) It's volunteering disguised as an opportunity. That's what happens. So everyone just accepts that, which it's very cool that you kind of went, hold on a moment. And the other piece of it. And so the second piece to that story was that I realized that I wasn't going to be paid for this endeavor. And so I sought some sponsorship, actually. So you can get sponsored for the event and have a company sponsor you. And so I sought some sponsorship and I was turned down by everyone that I asked because I, quote, didn't give them enough personal business for them to consider sponsoring my educational content. And I, well, well, that's kind of corrupt, don't you think? Like, I have this amazing life's work that I'm about to share with the entire industry for a mug. And I can't get sponsorship because I don't have this corporate relationship with these sponsors. And I went, how are we supposed to move forward as an industry? Like we're no better than the pharmaceutical company MD situation that we, you know, kind of poo-poo if this is how we are going to treat our educators and how we treat information exchange. And so that was like the birth of the confident clinician, honestly, was that moment where I was like, I need to build a clinician-owned, non-industry funded, unbiased platform where educators get paid well, we hand people the information they need to become good critical thinkers and good researchers, and we get them out of the hole of doing so much paperwork on their own in their offices. And that's really where the idea was born. It was like, how do I do this for our profession so that I can save them all the time and the heartache of them doing the research on their own, but also do it in a way that is honoring that knowledge piece and honoring our educators. It's like when you say it, it's such an obvious thing, you know, and that's what I love with when you hit a great business idea, you're like, how has no one thought of this before? You think of medical school and the big joke about how much is taught by the big pharma and it's just accepted that that's the way. And then you go, well, wait a minute, like just what you said, all of a sudden you start to see, oh, it's actually the same in naturopathic school, because the supplement companies don't want to support unless you're actually supporting them specifically. So it's no better. It's interesting that someone hasn't thought about this before. How do we create education that isn't biased? Yeah. Like I understand how the industry works too, right? Like, and I appreciate those companies, but I also want them to just appreciate good work and good research. And it wasn't enough for me to get on the stage and say, inositol is amazing. Here's all the research. Why? And for that to be enough to be sponsored, I had to have sold their inositol, you know, at a hundred skids for them to consider supporting me. That's where the problem lies, right? Like if we feel so great about these companies, which we often do, we also should feel really great about the research that backs the work they're doing. 
And yet that just wasn't honored, right? That's not something that we've typically honored in the past. So this seems like such an obvious thing because again, the practitioners are used to going to these events where they're not investing much in themselves either. Like when we started Mindshare, I remember the situation was either doctors were basically paid to go to these events where companies were educating. So they barely cost anything and they were given treated to all this cool stuff. There weren't events where you actually had to pay money and invest in yourself. And as I started to do that, people were like, oh, you know, one woman actually said to me that she realized she'd invested more in her garden than she ever had in her business. And I go, well, that is why you have a flourishing garden and not a flourishing business. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you've got now clinicians who've gone through traditional schooling who might be going to these conferences to get continuing education and they're being trained by companies. How do you show them this shift? Like, how do you create the demand where you basically are creating now a new thing in a new industry? It's a really good question. That's one we've had to circle back on often, right? And, you know, the way that we think about our patients, right? And the way we think about even concepts like insurance, right? And patients who want to do the bare minimum for their insurance, but that's not really what they need. And people only want to do the bare minimum for their CE check marks. And yet that's not what they need, right? And so, you know, the examples I often give are like, well, when was the last time you opened the PDF from that conference you got a check mark for or from that free webinar that you attended? When was the last time that you found that useful or that it saved you an hour of time? Because if you're paying yourself $300 an hour to look up information on PubMed that I could just slide to you, right? Then really we're not valuing what it is that we do that's so special, which is actually that interaction with our patient, not the answer, right? We're all giving inositol. It's how you deliver it and when you deliver it and how you support your patient as they do it. That's the magical part of what you do. But I could have told you to give them inositol and I'll save you the trouble. That's how we're trying to help clinicians. A is helping them value their time. But we also inject in that the critical thinking part of it, the motivational interviewing part of it, the like, this is what behavior coaching actually looks like part of it. So the database portion of what we offer is, here's the answer. Give them zinc. This is the dose of iron. We'd love if it was an IV, even though no one can get one of those. (laughs) But here's the answer. But here's also how we got here. And here's how you help that complex patient integrate those things into their life. And so we give the NDs or the functional medicine doctors the handout. Here's the handout on the thing. Just put it in your EMR. Put your letterhead on it. You can have it. We give them the cheat sheet, right? That's like if you're trapped in front of a patient and you haven't seen someone with lupus in a long time, here you go. Here's the answer. But it's the community component of it. It's when we do our advanced trainings and our intensives that people really feel the change, the change in the way they think, the change in the way they practice the change in the way they interact with their patients. It's not about the zinc, right? It's not about what we give. It's about how we do it. And I think the really beautiful thing about what we do is the community and coaching aspect of supporting people in their clinical work. And so that's how we're trying to differentiate ourselves from the check mark. because I don't think you've ever felt that way when you've left a CE program before. You left with a piece of paper going, well, thank God I don't have to do that again for three years. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a really critical point. I think back to when I used to see a lot of people one-on-one and I'd always have them bring in anything they were taking and they would literally bring in grocery bags of stuff and they had no idea what it was or why to take it. So they didn't take it. 
I can't tell you the number of people that weren't compliant on their things. And I remember I was actually at a conference and I went into one of the breakouts that was teaching how to use a medical foods product for helping with like an elimination diet or something. And they said, yeah, you give them this handout, you give them this product and then have them come back in a month. And I went, what? (laughs) You give them this handout, you give them this product and you have them come back in a month. What about like coaching? And oh, no, I go and they actually do that. Oh, you know, it's like, I think they didn't know if they actually did or not, because that wasn't part of the thing. The part of the thing was give them the handout and give them the product. (laughs) I'm like, oh my gosh. So you bring up such key points here in that it's not the zinc, it's the now they need to understand how to take it, why to take it, what to expect from taking it so they actually will do the thing. And I'm assuming that this was not taught in school. No, like we have almost no modeling around that aspect, right? So like what you're talking about is that very transactional, like if someone has acne, then we give zinc. But we don't talk about like, well, how do you navigate the nausea? What if they also want to take medication for their zinc? How do we manage this if they have this medication that they take? We don't talk about that. And that's, I think, where clinicians get lost. And what they do is they turn to the person they graduated with. They turn to their notes from school, which I always tell this story that when my husband and I moved out of our apartment in Toronto, I literally wheeled my notes from school in a shopping cart to a dumpster and I dumped them there. And I was like, medicine is different today than it was yesterday. Of course it is. I had moved so many times. I had my graduate and doctoral school books. I remember once I just finally started pulling them out. I go, why have I dragged these since the 80s and early 90s? I'd been dragging these books everywhere I went. They're way outdated. Part of that is when they exit the door, we don't give them the confidence that they could find that information again. Right. We made it feel like there's this coveted information that only we know. And we're going to give it to you in this little binder. So you better like hang on to it for dear life. When the reality of medicine is the day you graduate, like it's over. Like everything is different that very next day. You wrote the test yesterday, the information's different today. And if we don't grow that learner to have the confidence that they can figure that out, they're in a Facebook group asking the people they graduated with. Mm -hmm. And I truly believe that there needs to be a higher standard of care than that in integrative medicine. We're just not that well represented in some of the major medical databases, right? There's lots of great information there about how to navigate standards of care for drug therapy. And then there'll be like two bullets about nutrition when there's vast amounts of information that we should be using it's not accessible, right? The information that integrative practitioners need isn't accessible. That's the solution that we've created is that it's there for you, just like you would jump into any medical database and find the information you need. But we're also going to grow you as a confident reader of research. So if you have to go look something up on your own, you don't like think that I know everything and I have to tell it to you, then I haven't won right? Winning is feeling like every ND out there has the skills to go find the information on their own. It's not just NDs. This is NDs, MDs, DCs, nutritionists. Like the first step is really learning how to understand if it's a valid study or not, how to use it and how to apply it. And really the fact that you have them in one place and you've sorted for that so that there's not junk. I mean, there's so much junk data out there. That's the other challenge, right? Or it's not junk data, but the way it got reported on was misleading, which I see all the time. So, you know, when looking at this from a business model standpoint, though, you had an interesting situation because you have a hole, an obvious hole, holy smokes, 
but you have people that don't know they have a need. So how did you get started when people didn't know they needed this? And I was thinking about this because I knew you were probably going to ask me this question. And truthfully, I had a lot of like, I don't know if imposter syndrome is not the right word. But imposter syndrome to me, let's reframe. I think that we should all have it all the time because to me, it just shows that you're pushing out into new frontiers and playing bigger, you know? So everything in you is going, holy smokes, who are you to do this? I think that's a great thing. And that's my angle there was like, I don't, I don't know if I want to use that term because there's a negative connotation with the word imposter syndrome. But I was like, we'll call it new kid on the block. And so I knew at the beginning that I needed to give away as much information as humanly possible. I needed to share, share, share as much as I could to show that the reason my brick and mortar was so successful was because of these skills that I have. The reason I knew what to do with your patient was because of these skills that I have. And when I started to grow a small following, so our little beta group was about 58, well, it was exactly 58, that we piloted the project with actually for almost a year. And sometimes we just hopped on Zoom and literally, you know, talked about stuff with clinic. We talked about burnout. We talked about process. What, you know, POS machine are you using? Like it was literally that grassroots conversation. And then when we decided we were going to launch, that's when we really kind of took to the streets to share. Now you keep saying we, who was we? Me and me. Okay. (laughs) Me, myself and I. Yes. But meanwhile, we were still running our successful like brick and mortar, right? While we were piloting this other thing. Yes. A book can change the entire trajectory of your career and catapult your brand. I can literally divide my professional career into two halves, before my best-selling book and after my best-selling book, because The Virgin Diet changed everything for me and my family. Now, I keep saying best-selling book, as well, I've got four New York Times best-selling books. The Virgin Diet wasn't my first or even the second book I wrote. The difference was that starting with The Virgin Diet, I had studied what it takes to launch a book out to the world as a bestseller, and I followed that advice to the letter with life-changing results. Once I cracked the code, I repeated the process with my other books. Since then, I've helped multiple members of our Mindshare community do the same, including Dr. Isabella Wentz, Dr. Kellyanne Perducci, and Dr. Alan Christensen. Now, I love the phrase, success leaves clues, and this is especially true in the book publishing world. Whether your book still lives in your brain, is ready to be published, or is already out in the world, are exactly how to launch or relaunch your book teaches you those success clues. I'll be joined by best-selling authors and book strategists, Sam Horn and Liz Marshall, and you will learn the critical messaging that gets and keeps a book selling and is people quoting your book. You'll identify the right launch model for you based on your goals and commitment level. You'll discover how to build and leverage meaningful relationships to ensure that your book continues to change the conversation for the long term. You know, beginning authors think that the hardest part of the book process is writing the book, while experienced authors know that it's all about the launch process to get your book selling and then keep it selling so that you can create the impact and income that made you decide to write it in the first place. This exactly how to launch or relaunch your book workshop takes place in the comfort of your home or office Friday, August 18th, and will be recorded so that you can continue to refer back to it. It's time to get that book out into the world. So to get registered, just join us at ms365.io forward slash ehtbook. 
That's ms365.io forward slash E-H-T book. And what's really important in the health business ascension model that people love to skip over is this critical first step that you were doing, the beta testing to see if people actually wanted this. Now, you knew they needed it, but as you know, need and want are very different. So you had to get it out there. And what you were so smart in doing it is tying back to what they knew they wanted, which was a successful practice. Right. And you had the secret to the successful practice, which they never would have thought this was. They would have thought it was something else. So, you know, a marketing system or whatever. No, I actually get great results because of this. So people come. So you spend all this time really working with people, getting feedback, seeing what they wanted, seeing what they reacted to and responded to, and knowing that they actually wanted this. Yeah, exactly. And trying to figure out exactly how I wanted to show up. So I've said since I graduated, if someone could just pay me to do research, this would be my dream job. Oh, this is so good. You also found your unique ability, the thing you would do, whether you got paid to do it or not, the thing you love so much, and you built your business around that. You are just the role model of like how to do these things. Okay, so perfect. Keep going. This is what I wanted my career to be. Like I wanted to be able to spend my time doing research. It's what I love. It's what I'm good at. I'm a very good communicator. I'm very good at taking like complex problems and distilling it down into what's important. And that's really what we need when we're taking research to clinical practice, right? Like research has this, you know, great luxury of never making a decision actually, right? If you read the the conclusion of every study ever, it just says we need to do more research. I'm like, well, lucky you, you're not sitting in front of a patient where my unique ability is, is like, how do we take the information we currently know and translate it into care guidelines or things that clinicians can you know, hold on to and actually use with their patients. And so I was like, if I can get paid to do that, like that's like my dream job. So our first launch was in January, 2021, and it really exceeded my expectations. We started with a modest price point that at the moment was probably more uncomfortable than I thought. Although year over year, we've added to the value of the program. And I'm now very comfortable where our price point is. I think we actually go above and beyond. We get people way more value than the cost of the program because it's built on a membership model. So the one-to-many gives that opportunity where people can pick my brain figuratively, but on a scale of one to 600. And so at that low price point, you're getting that opportunity to hang with me and our experts and our faculty members at a level that you would never be able to achieve on your own And you're leveraging the fact that you're part of a large community. So we've been able to attract some amazing speakers. We pay our educators incredibly well for being with us because that's how the model works. Well, it's what you believe in. So I really love that too, is one of the things you said from the beginning is educators aren't paid well, and I'm going to change that. Right. Because we want the best. So you're living in integrity. You know, it's exceeded my expectations in the last two years. We're just shy of 600 members, which we'll surpass at our next launch in this July. But also, I know that we can do so much more. And I'm really excited for some of our other offers that we've created. We now have clinical fellowships inside the membership as well. So when people really want to focus on their niche, that we have the mentorship and we have the support and programming for them to really be able to take that to the next level. I'm really excited about what we've done. I like that word you use, JJ, with an integrity. I always say like, what does leadership look like, right? And to me, leadership looks like, no, we're not going to be sponsored. 
Yes, we're going to pay the educators really well. Yes, we're going to keep expanding the offer to meet the needs of the community. And we're just going to do the next right thing, whatever that is, whatever leadership looks like, because we need this so badly in our community that I've stopped worrying about what it looks like from a business perspective because it works. I just want to do the next right thing for our community because we all have so much potential, but not if we're spending two hours trying to figure out how to treat each individual patient. Right. There's so many great things here. First of all, for whatever business someone's trying to build, I was just coaching someone yesterday and she's like, what should I build for the bonus to the book launch? And she's throwing out all these ideas. I go, did you just survey your list? Because I build what they want. And she's like, oh, and like, and you said, we are just listening to the needs of the community. And then we're looking at what the next right thing is. That is beautiful because now you've got your focus group. And now you just can continue to go, okay, what's the next thing? What are they asking for? How do we build from here and continue to expand? So this is just fantastic. It's such a perfect model to go from. I also love that this model is so much bigger than where it is right now. Like when I first heard about it, as you were explaining it, I'm like, oh my gosh, where was this? I mean, I'm still researching all the time. I'm like every day finding studies. And I have to dig through and I have a couple different newsletters I subscribe to from researchers, PhD researchers. Like I have to glom it all together all over the place, right? And the fact that you can go somewhere in your niche and get mentored, because what happens when you leave school? Well, now you have to find all these different things. You don't have a one-stop shop that not only can help you become a better practitioner by learning the coaching side of things, which if you're doing integrative work, I don't know how you do that without the coaching component. You are not going to a doctor and getting a prescription and leaving. It's the biggest part of what has to happen in any kind of integrative, functional, whatever you want to call it, is the coaching side of it, is the behavioral change side of it. Like without that, I don't know how you do it. So you've just put so much in here and, you know, at a low investment for someone. I mean, it makes so much sense. I don't know how there's not 10,000 practitioners in here right now. The only reason is they haven't heard about it yet because it's just a no-brainer. So how will this look? Like, what are your thoughts now? Because in the health business ascension model, we start with this idea of creation. And that's really like this thing. You know, it's sitting there and you're like, okay, what's the thing, right? You had your, I love research. I want to get paid to do research. I see a need in the community. They're going to have to realize it's a need too. What they see is they want to make more money. They want to have a successful clinic. I know the secret to that. It's just not what they think it is. Like they probably think it's getting good ads, right? So you create this thing, you had your beta group, you then moved into optimizing that thing. Now I'm sure it's like systematized, which is the third part as we get into scaling, where you have the systematization, you've got now different educators, you're listening to what else they want, which means now you put your foot on the gas and you can really accelerate and scale. And when you look at it, you started in a community, you know, niche audience transformation, what's the problem you solve? And really, the problem they thought they were solving was, how do I have a successful clinic? Your problem was, medicine is broken. I'm going to change the paradigm. That's the problem you're solving. It's different than the problem they're solving, right? Which is kind of interesting. But everyone gets what they want. But now when you really look at it, you started in an ND audience. One of the ways that you can scale is to go to different audiences. This is just not limited to NDs. This is like, you look at it and go, oh my gosh, right? This is something that 
everyone that's working in the integrative, functional, holistic, whatever you want to call it, space needs. And honestly, the allopathic doctors, if they're not working in that space at some point, and it's looking like maybe accelerated will happen sooner rather than later, we'll be needing to jump the fence too, because clearly that's not working. So what are your plans for scaling? Because I know you're just kind of going next step, next step. But if you were waving a wand and you just kind of let yourself dream, do you have a do you have a vision of where you'd love to see this go? The way I'd love for the practitioners to feel is that this is the like indispensable practice resource. You know, you renew your malpractice insurance, you renew your college fees, and you renew your confident clinician membership. That's how I want it to feel to the user. And I think we're well on our way for that feeling. The feedback we get from our current users is that, you know, take my money. This is an indispensable practice resource. Are they annual or monthly? They are annual or biannual. And I did that on purpose, which I'm happy to share, especially if we're thinking about that that membership model. Yeah. First of all, you can't hang with me for five minutes and decide whether you like it or not, right? We're asking you to think differently. We're asking you to expand the way that you do your work. We're asking you to interact with research in a very different way. Yes, I'm handing you the answer, but I'm totally lacing it with that kind of expansion type work where you're going to think more critically about what you do every day. And so I didn't want people to dip their toe in the water and say, this isn't for me because we're transforming people and that doesn't happen in one month. Monthly doesn't work. It also acknowledges that the work and life of integrative practitioners is quite dynamic. And we have people that work one day a week. We have people that work locums. We have people on maternity leave. We have people that you know, work in three different practices. And the value proposition there is I'll be there for you when you need it. And if we happen to pop in with someone in their life in a month where they're still working on their patient base, or maybe they didn't see anybody with menopause, I can't have them making a decision how valuable the resource is based on the inconsistencies in their work life and in their lives in general. And so we said six months minimum. If you hang with us after six months and you would like to hop out, that's fine. But that's why we don't offer a monthly option. You also get access to 100% of the database the day you register. And so some memberships, you know, they're dripped to you, right? You log in on day one and you get day one. And then on day two, you get day two. With our membership, the moment you log in, you're getting access to hundreds, probably at this point, thousands of data entries. And so we give you everything the moment you join, with the exception of a couple of our advanced programming, but you get everything the day you join. And so it's a six-month minimum commitment in order for me to give you my life's work. We'll just put it that way. I think that's totally fair. And how do you onboard someone so they're not overwhelmed jumping into all that? Yeah, we move them through a new member onboarding process, which includes some tutorial videos and email sequences that helps them because you're right. I gave you my life's work, like the moment you logged in, there is definitely that feeling of overwhelm, which we've learned over time, right? We listened how people were using the technology how people were interacting with the interface and have built our onboarding with that in mind. And so there is less overwhelm when they join. We also only onboard twice a year. And so July, we onboard for an August 1st start and we onboard in January for a February 1st start. And by doing it by cohort, it means we can take care of our new members in a different way versus them trickling in at all hours of the day. It allows us to really control that user experience 
And it does build some pressure in between our launches as well, where if you can't just jump in at any time, this is an intentional experience for you to join. And we curate it by having you all come in in a cohort. I love cohorts. I'm a big fan of cohorts, especially working in diets and weight loss. If people can start whenever they want, they never want. I think of Marie Forleo, who spoke last year at Mindshare Summit, and you know she's always done B-School as a cohort, and all of her stuff she does cohort-driven because she just builds up that demand all year long. They can't stand it. And then she'll do like a $20 million launch in February, and you're like, holy smokes, Marie. So I really love cohorts. I think it's a smart, smart way. There's so many smart things that you've done along the way. What I'd love to know is... What about the fails? Because like, I'm just going, this is like the smartest woman ever. Somewhere along the way, I'm sure there's some things you tried that you were like, well, that was a fail. And I find quite often, like my biggest successes have come out from the, well, that was a fail. Like those have really helped me figure out what I needed to do. Have there any been any lessons there on some fails that really helped you figure out the next thing? Oh, for sure. We definitely had a monthly option. So there my speaking to the cohorts and what have you is partly based on a fail, right? We had a monthly option at the beginning. It was priced really unattractive and yet some people took it and they were our greatest- Nightmare. Yeah, they were the greatest heartache. And they were the people that were, they're the least loyal. They were the most volatile memberships we had. And so we learned from that experience, 90% of our time was dealt with the monthly memberships. And so we eliminated that option. I guess I'll call that a fail, but an important pivot point for us to make after the first two launches we offered. It's perfect. It's R&D, we call that. We call those all R&D. So that was super important. What other R&D moments did we have? Yeah, you know what? And as we've scaled like our higher ticket offer, so the way our higher ticket offers exist in the Confident Clinician right now is we ran a program called the Expert Clinician last year where we onboarded 10 clinicians in 10 different niches and trained them to be our educators. And so through that process, they now offer advanced training courses inside the Confident Clinician. So members can opt up into some advanced training with our experts. And our experts are paid basically on affiliate for them selling their courses and for the work that we do with them, which is a great model, right? So they have their own mini launches inside of our community. Their courses are fantastic because they work on them for an entire year. And now they're launching our high ticket offer to our membership, which is our fellowship program. So our 10 experts will have 10 niched fellowships where they will work with a group of 10 practitioners on developing their clinical mastery on their their niche. And we have three in progress. The fourth is about to launch this month. And so I would say where our fails are there, and this is going to sound like one of those times where you're like, And my problem is, is that I'm perfect. (laughs) This is not what I mean. But my fail is, is that I really trust the process. I am so comfortable with uncertainty. I just know we're going to do the right next thing, even if I haven't quite, you know, had that right dog walk or that right shower where I'm going to know what the next right thing actually is. But my team needs more from me (laughs) around vision objectives they're working towards. And so my poor fellowship facilitators in this moment, I'm like, just trust me, we're going to be fine. Been a great learning moment for me, right? That for me at the top where I am totally happy not knowing where we're going, that as I'm pulling people up into the the higher positions and those higher ranks, that they often have different needs than I do in order to understand where we're going. 
So that's been a really neat learning moment for me over the last three months or so where I'm realizing like the structure needs to be clear and not just in my head to help my facilitators actually be able to come with me because it's hard to come with me if you're just like, you know, blindly following. (laughs) (laughs) So that's been a neat learning moment too. Then I think like, you know, I referred to myself as we, even at the beginning, this whole thing is all in my head to be able to onboard the support I need and to be able to communicate effectively with others about where we're going. And for me not to just make these rash decisions about what our next big project is going to be, that's been a big learning moment for me because I've been so used to doing it all myself. And now for us to scale, for us to, you know, 10x this, which I have full expectation we will, I'm not going to be able to do it alone. And that's going to be a neat learning moment for me, I think, over the next 24 months is how do I inject the team with the same level of trust and and certainty that I currently have in this moment. It is all such an interesting time. I remember as I was going through this, I'm like, where's the school for this? And I actually joined Dan Sullivan, strategic coach. He has trained more entrepreneurs than anyone in the world. And a couple important things that he taught me that I was like, okay, these have been invaluable because as visionaries, we are very comfortable making stuff up. In fact, that's where we thrive. And kind of like not really knowing what's coming next. And a couple of things he told me, he goes, you know, there's people in life that make it up. They're the visionaries. And then there's people who like to make it real. And then there's people who like to make it reoccur. And you have to know the difference. Because if you give someone who's a make it reoccur person your idea to make it real, they can't do it. So that has been a super helpful thing. But the other thing he taught me was like, do not brainstorm with your team. Because I'll just go, I have this idea. And they think that means we're going to do the idea, right? So they're like, all I throw it out there, walk away. Like I feel better. That was fun, but I didn't really take any of it seriously. It was just an idea. (laughs) Meanwhile, they're all over there thinking they need to do something. They're completely stressed out. And he actually has a process you have to work through with these ideas that helps you really see if the idea has merit before you go blab it to your team and freak them all out, you know, and it really is kind of this check-in of like, what would happen if I did this idea? What will happen if I don't do this idea? Like, what's the best case scenario? If I don't do it, what's the worst case scenario? And what's it going to take to do it? And how long it, what's the ROI? All this stuff that you actually have to go through and you go, oh, this I always go, is this a now, a not now, or not ever you know, <laughs> type of things? Because we'll just have generate ideas all day long. And most of them should never be articulated anywhere, right? But they help you get to the next thing. So, you know, it's a fun time right now because now you're learning how to share vision in a way that people can grab a hold of and get excited by, but also not get stressed out by, you know, it's like kind of like if they jumped in your brain, they'd probably run away screaming. And then another mentor of mine was like, if you've got your forward motion of what this thing is and the big through line and the big vision, is that a detour? over there? Or is that pushing you more forward? I'm like, oh, that's a good one. Because, you know, you want to have all those income streams, but they all got to keep the boat going in the same direction. Sometimes you'll look at one and go, that totally took me off. Like now the boat's in reverse and this doesn't make any sense. And then I sit down with the team after I've done that stuff. And they actually today, like I've thought of something, we all got together and thought that was a bad idea. I'm like, awesome. You know, and they had an amazing idea, but they wouldn't have come to the idea had I not done the first part. But they're also comfortable enough to tell me, we did not like your idea. I'm like, awesome. Tell me. And they figured out a better thing based on that one. Like, So it needed the bad idea to get to the good idea. 
but know that you do not need to blow sunshine, right? So, you know, it's a very cool thing because you're going to move into your real we as opposed to the royal we. And you're right. Like as you start to scale, you know, you have to really look at what is the thing that you uniquely do and then go find the people that have their unique things that they uniquely do. And the goal, I think, as you build your business is to get to the point where you're only doing that thing that you love that you're uniquely doing and you take everything else that you possibly can off your plate because that's your highest value. Yeah, I'm excited about that. And I know it's coming. And I think 10X is small for what you have. Like, (laughs) I'm like salivating over your business. It's like, oh my gosh, because especially when you have a business that is such a win-win-win that everything improves because of it. It's so cool. I think the bigger vision for all of us, because, you know, building health businesses, we're so fortunate because the reality is that's what we get to do. We get to build businesses that like change lives. You know, I say I'm not selling a car or like a necklace. I'm like selling transformation and health. It's such a different thing. You're changing the whole way people practice so that they're more effective at what they do. Their net is they're going to have a more successful practice. But the global net is that you change the trajectory of healthcare and health. Gives me chills. Pretty cool. Super, super cool. All right. So for people listening, because I don't know how you would listen to this and not want to be part of your membership. And I know they can't be right now because it's not open at the moment. But if someone did want to learn more, where where do we send them? Yeah. And actually we have a couple of ways that you're that we're going to share with your audience to get connected with our content. I know I said we don't let people do a taste test, but we are going to give a couple of offers to your audience if they do want to taste test the confident clinician. We do have one of our modules, we call them. So like inflammatory bowel disease or acne or urology, like these are modules that we've worked through as a group that has pre-recorded content, like practice in a box, right? So if someone walks through your door with Crohn's disease, that you're opening the IBD module and downloading the referral letters, the diet handout the EMR templates, the exercise template. And then right in front of you, you have the evidence table to say, yes, curcumin, yes, Boswellia, no to probiotics sometimes, which is always interesting. Anyways, the evidence table is there for you. So it can help you have a framework for making clinical decisions. We do offer that sneak peek for the IBD module at $37, which is like free. So please go just get it. But that gives you that opportunity to see behind the scenes and the, and how we build our content to make sure that it's going to work for you as that user-friendly experience. But we do also have some great courses. One of our courses we ran last year was on menopause care, and it actually is A&P certified for continuing education credits. Even though I said that that's not something we prioritize, this particular course does have certification And we are going to give your listeners $250 off that course if they want to go and grab it. And that gives you that intensive feel. When we ask our members what their favorite thing is, they say that the advanced training is their favorite thing. Even though they have that tab open for the database every single day they're in clinic, their favorite experience with us is through the advanced trainings where we really dive in on content. And so that menopause one is a great course. You get to see myself highlighted as an educator, as well as some of our expert clinicians. And we made the code JJ Virgin. So you can just plug that in at uh, checkout and it gives you 250 bucks off the course. We will put all of this in the show notes. And I'm also, which you can see on your podcast player, but also put it at ms365.io forward slash 
confident clinician. There you go. So you'll be able to go there to get all the notes. You can see them on your podcast player too. When I hear that, I go, gosh, like I just think about, I may be going back into doing some one-on-one stuff again. I keep thinking I'm going to do it, but it's like, you look at it and go, holy smokes, to just be able to have that at your ready. I used to have a protocol book that I always, I'd have to run back into the office. I had the protocol book that I helped develop for Designs for Health that I would go back through and I go, and that was the tip of the iceberg to have all of that information right there. Oh my gosh. Cause how can you keep that all in your head? You can't. No, I actually use it myself. Like I literally have it open while I'm working with patients one-on-one <laughs> and I download my own work and use it like in my day-to-day. Here's the thing. That's the ultimate test is do you use it? Like that's the ultimate test. Everything you've done here, I, I love the saying successfully clues. You just gone through this all exactly perfect along with the R&D fails, like everything. You took imperfect action. You kept testing things out. You test them with a the group. You got their feedback. You built new things. Like it's just fabulous. So I just am excited to see where this business is going. And again, for everybody listening, you can check it out. We'll put everything at ms365.io forward slash confident clinician. And Dr. Jordan, thank you so much for all of the value that you brought today. It's been amazing. Oh, thanks, JJ. This was fun. Here at the Mindshare Collaborative, we are committed to helping you increase your vision, income, and impact. One of the first things we'd love to support you on is adding a high-profit leveraged income stream so that you can enjoy more time and money freedom. And to help you get started, I've created the Health Professionals Playbook for building multiple streams of income that identifies five proven strategies for creating a sustainable income beyond your primary practice to create time and money freedom. To get your free copy as my gift to you, go to ms365.io forward slash MSI. That's ms365.io forward slash MSI.